I got an email um, this past uh, fr- uh, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, say Wednesday, Wednesday, something like whatever day it was, I don't know. Um, but I got this email, and this email was like this long. And this email is absolutely beautiful, and I cannot share everything in this email with you, okay? Suffice it to say, people, the people sitting next to you, the people that walk in that door, they go through some rough things. And if you're saying, man, why are we doing a Thanksgiving outreach? Why are we doing a Christmas outreach? Why are we doing this? Why do you preach on that? Why are we? If you want to know why that cutting donuts is so important in this church, if you want to know why making coffee is so important in this church, let me share it with you. I got permission to share this, and I'm going to do it carefully. I'm taking it right out of the middle of all the things that this family has been through. But the the wife goes in to say, we first attended Vineyard the week you started the series on Psalm 23. I'm the sheep, therefore God is my shepherd. That Sunday after worship, and before your sermon, I don't know if you were here that day, but you remember, she's stating... You stated that the Holy Spirit was telling you that somebody present was thinking, man, this is not going to change things. It's not going to help me. But I'm going to sit here through it anyway. And you encouraged anyone that was feeling that way to come forward for prayer. And I knew that God was talking to you about me, and I hesitated because this was my very first visit. Eventually, I asked my husband to go forward with me because I was not brave enough to go by myself. Two people up front prayed for us, and you came over and placed your hand on my head and prayed for me as well. And I do not remember exactly what you said, but I do remember you praying that I would not believe the lies. In the following weeks, you taught on Psalm 23, and each week you felt as though you, excuse me, it felt as though you were speaking right to me in my current situation. I knew that the first Sunday that Vineyard was the place that I needed to be, and each week after that one just solidified the feelings. Your latest sermon was on attitude and acknowledging the goodness and mercy God gives us, even though there will be hardships in our lives. This made something click, so to speak. Yes. I have experienced some significantly terrible things in less than 30 years on this earth. And I have also experienced some most of the most wonderful things. After this week's sermon, for the first time since we have been back in church, I was able to sing along with the worship team. Up until that point, I was not singing because I did not believe the words that God was for me and not against me and that he was always with me or that he loved me. If you wonder why we do what we do, if you wonder why the vision is what the vision is, if you wonder if playing the drums, if strumming on a guitar, if playing on the keyboards, if jumping up and down in front of people, if taking care of the children, if leading a Bible story to our children, if you wonder if greeting people at the front door makes a difference, listen to me, it makes a difference. It matters to the life of somebody you never met. It matters. Because they have reconnected with God. I'm telling you, that letter described everything that this poor child has been through in her whole life. And at a point where I'm saying, Lord, did I get that wrong that somebody was supposed to come forward to be prayed over? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I knew that morning that Christine Curry was sitting there and she needed to come pray for this person because it was going to be a woman. I knew before I stood up and said, this is weird. It's, it's, it's going to freak me out a little bit, but I need to say this. That this I knew that before. I'm not saying, hey, look at Joe. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God is bringing people in because you are being faithful. 
to press in, to chase after, to sign up, to register, to be a part of a team, to get involved in a small group. Some of you, your whole gift is just giving financial resources. I want you to know that it's not being wasted, but it's being used to see people's lives change. Nuts and bolts are sermons that I like to preach that are not in a series, and that's what today is, and this is a lead into that. It is this morning anyway. The story we're looking at um, that God gave to me is in the book of Mark. It's also in the book of Luke, and in, in, uh, in uh, harmony with deeper 2018, let me just lay you a little background. According to Luke, about eight days before this begins to unfold, Jesus gather, gathers his 12 disciples together, and he says, boys, have I got a plan for you. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to hang me on a tree. It's going to be great. I'm going to die. But don't worry, God's going to raise me from the dead. And they're like, no, Lord, let's don't go to Jerusalem. All they want to do in Jerusalem is kill you. And he says, we're going to Jerusalem. And in the book of Luke, anyway, the scripture says, and eight days later, they move forward. Eight days after Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be killed. Don't worry, it was for this reason that AI came. So when somebody comes to you and says, man, those people, they murdered Jesus. Man, they, they did not murder Jesus. Murdering somebody means they didn't want to die, that they did not intend to die. Murdering somebody says you took something from them. Jesus said, I came to this earth to die as a sacrifice for your sins and the sins of the world. He gave up his life. He laid down his life. See? He came to die. And they're like, eh, not what we signed up for, Lord. It was pretty obvious. These guys had signed up for a, a social revolution. They, they signed up that things were going to change. The Romans were going to get kicked out. Israel was going to come back to being a nation again. It was going to be awesome. And that's not what was going on. And so, by the way, eight days later, Jesus comes to this mountain. And he goes up on this mountain. He goes up the Mount of Transfiguration. And while he's up there, he meets Elijah and Moses, and they're hanging out and having a wonderful time. But in the midst of it all, it's called Mount of Transfiguration because while he's there, his clothes just, boom, become white as lightning, radiant. There's, he's transfigured right in front of James, John, and Peter, the only three of the 12 that he took up the mountain with him. He's up there. He's know, he knows he's headed to Jerusalem to be sacrificed, and he goes up there, and while he's up there, lots of things happening. But he needs to be encouraged. You know, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, excuse me, chapter 12 begins by saying, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. If you've ever wondered if heaven is looking in on you, heaven came down here to meet with Jesus. And that's because the mission that we are a part of, what kind of mission has God saying, yo-ho, uh, Moses, Elijah, I want you to go down there. I want you to bolster, encourage my son because he's about to die on a cross. It's going to be a wicked thing. He knows it's coming, but I want you to you know, strengthen his resolve that he's going to see this thing through. And Peter, James, and John were up there, and it was great. And so they're seeing this whole thing unfold. Jesus like just a bright light that flashes in front of them. <clears throat> they're hearing the voices. They're seeing Elijah and Moses talking to Jesus. Peter doesn't know what to do. He can't sit still. We all have a friend like that. At times I am your friend like that. I get that. Um, but they, somebody's got to say something. We can't just have silence. And so 
There's Peter. Hey, let's build houses for everybody. Let's build little shacks so that everybody can just stay up here and we can just sing Kumbaya. It's going to be great. And the Lord says, hey, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then this unfolds in front of our face the next day. They're up on the mountain. They're camping. And the next day, the next day. The next day, they're coming down the mountain. Jesus gives his disciples, hey, don't tell anybody what happened up here until all things come to a summation. But don't say anything. Don't let it out of the bag what happened up here until it's all done. And so they're headed down the mountain, and we come to Mark chapter 9, and here's the scripture unfolding in front of us. They're coming down the mountain. The scripture says, when they came to the other disciples, they're down at the bottom of the mountain. The other disciples are at the bottom of the mountain. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around the disciples, around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with Jesus' disciples. As soon as all the people saw, the, saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. And I'm not sure what wonder is translated. Is it right? Is it wrong? I'm going with it's wonder. But in my mind, it's like, okay, here comes the guy. We're done dealing with these guys and we're going to go ask his uh, um, uh, um, opinion on this. And Jesus steps up and he says, what are you arguing with them about, guys? It says right there, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. They're not having a discussion. They're having a social media debate. But right there in front of people, okay? They're having it. What are you arguing with them about? And a man in the crowd answered and says, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes absolutely rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit, meaning inside the boy, saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy to the ground in a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And so while this is going on, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love Jesus' response. If you can, Jesus replies, everything is possible for he who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, but I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The, sp the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this, this kind can only come out by prayer. And in the other um, uh, account, it says by prayer and fasting. It comes through you getting so focused on God, so pure in heart, that you say, I'm going to spend time praying and fasting. When was the last time you prayed and fasted? We pray, but we don't always fast. We pray so that we don't have to fast. We pray so we can bless the food that is going to make sure that we don't have to fast. We're about to go into Thanksgiving. We're going to pray over the Thanksgiving meal, but we're not going to fast over the Thanksgiving meal. We're going to be thankful because God has been so good to us. But Jesus said that we need to recapture 
some of the spiritual disciplines that we as Christians 2,000 years later have absolutely forgotten. And one of those is the idea of fasting. Of being so um, hungry and so desirous of the presence of God that we beat our body, as Paul would say, by not giving it food. Because it will heighten our senses and our awareness. And so that's what's going on. And I don't know about you, but I see this thing unfolding. I see Jesus coming down the mountain. I see him talking to his disciples. I, I see him saying, hey, listen, let's keep this on the down low. Okay, what you saw up there after I'm gone, um, it'll all make sense to you. Then you can tell all the brothers it'll be good. And they come in, and Jesus is looking ahead, and he sees a crowd, and he thinks, oh, my word, every time I leave these people, something goes south. And he comes down and says, hey, what is going on? Hey, what are you arguing about? Why are you Christian people arguing with the Jewish people? Why are you followers of mine arguing with the disciples of the synagogue? Why are you arguing? And what is it you're arguing about? And of course, the father of the boy jumps up and says, Lord, please, please, please help me. From birth, his son, we don't know how old he is right here, but from birth, this child has just gone into fits, thrown itself down, possessed of a demon. Don't think Hollywood. Please do not think Hollywood. Okay, don't go down to Hill House or whatever that is on you know, Netflix or whatever. Don't do that. Okay, it's biblical. It's biblical. There are demons on the planet. You don't have to be afraid of them. Jesus very clearly was living out the example in front of you. There's nothing for you to be afraid of. Just deal with this demon. And so this child is throwing himself around. He's flopping around on the ground. And the father says, Lord, you have got to help me. My, my heart says, where is the boy's mother? We don't know. But somebody has to always be with this child. Somebody cannot leave this child or he'll end up in the fire. He'll end up in the water, drowned. He'll end up dead. And, and, and that's just not the plan of the kingdom of God. It's not the way it was supposed to be from Adam and Eve. And so Jesus says, bring him over here. What do you see in this story? I see a desperate father, man. I see a father saying, is there a God that even cares what I'm going through? Is there a God in heaven that's looking down that even wants to give me something to be thankful for? So many times we can get so focused on one area of our lives that we forget to be thankful for all of these other areas. And I'm not saying that this father should just, you know, bow up and just say, well, at least the sun's shining. At least I have a house. At least I have a bed. At least I... I'm not saying ignore the things that you're going through at all. What I'm saying is, but don't forget them. Don't forget the things that we have to be thankful for. And we've got this picture of what's going on in, in this man's life. And I just see a dad that is desperate. God, if you could, if you could see it, could you please help me? And I don't know that the conversation included the father saying specifically, I want this, will you do this thing for me? But he did want help, and, and the Lord keyed on the idea of, if I can, if, if you don't think I can, why are you here? If you don't think God wants to meet you, why did you come to church? 
I'm not saying God wants to solve every problem you've ever had and turn your life into sunshine and roses and all you have to do is follow the yellow brick road and that's all there is to it. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is you're in here. Do you believe that God wants to touch your life? Do you believe that he wants to touch your life? Because every time I come in here, I do. Every time the Lord invites me to humiliate myself, every time the Lord invites me to step out on a limb, every time the Lord invites me to take an R-I-S-K risk called faith, I want to do it because there is out there another email like this one. I cannot tell you how many times that the Holy Spirit has just spoken to my heart or one of you have come to me and said, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying this. And when I say it up here, people are like, you know, deer in the headlights. And not a good thing right now because it's deer season, but whack, you know. Um, but, you know, deer in the headlights. And then as soon as church is over, somebody meets me at the back and says, hey, uh, that was me. Uh, could, could you pray for me right now? And uh, Would you do that? Can I just be honest with you for a second? Can I just be Joe? Can I just not be Pastor Joe? Can I just be Joe? Sometimes I just want to look at you in the eye and say, no. No, you missed your chance. God doesn't have any more prayers for you. You should have come forward at the, at the end of service. Come forward. Because come on, people. I called you out, and you're sitting here telling me it was you, but no, you don't want to come forward. Okay, that's my flesh. Now we're going to put that back where it belongs. And now I'm going back to Pastor Joe, and I say, yes. Yes, I will pray for you. Because that is what God wants me to do. But guess what? You foolish people, if you will come forward, multiple people might pray for you. And it will be great. And I promise you, my prayers are no more righteous than any other saved Christian person in this building. I believe that. I believe the Holy Spirit resides inside of you if you surrendered your life to Jesus. But this, this scenario of Jesus interacting with his Father, he's trying to say, you got to believe. But you have to believe. Jesus wants you to believe. Now listen, we're on this planet. Bad things are going to happen to good people. There's no way around it. Um, we can't do that. We're not staying here. We're going to move on. It's going to be okay. But I see this story, and I see what's going on in there. I see this father's doubt, and I see that God does not reject us for our doubts. If I have to share something with you this morning, I want you to know that if you came in here doubting whether or not the God who sits on the throne in heaven, the one we sang to, the one we lifted up our voices to, if you're in here and you're saying, I'm not sure um, that God really cares about what I'm going to. Yes, he does. And I want you to know that God, God doesn't reject you because of your doubts. You know, we've heard Jesus, or maybe we've heard that scripture that says that Jesus said, if we would just not doubt, we could tell this, this mountain to go and just be cast into the ocean, and it would be cast into the ocean. And when we can't cast in, uh, you know, mountains in the ocean, when we've been trying, some of you have tried it a couple of times, come on. Some of you have like, mountain, in the ocean, you know. Um, and it hasn't happened, and you're like, oh, I must not be a Christian, or I must not have enough faith, or if my faith were only stronger, or, and we, we, we go down through this and we say, well, then God must not. And I'm just telling you, God does. God does love you. God does believe in you. God does reside in you. God does walk with you. God does see you. God does feel what you're feeling. God does. And that's what this passage is about. God does not reject us because of our doubts. If he did, wow, 
What about John the Baptist? Because doubt can be a tool in the hand of God. John the Baptist, most theologically understood to be Jesus' cousin, stood up and, and told people, you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is one coming after me whose shoelaces, whose sandals, whose thongs I'm not even worthy to touch and tie. And you need to be ready. And then the next day he's like, behold the Lamb. The one upon whom the Lord said, God said, the one upon whom the, the dove descends, he is the one. And so John knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so he spends the next two and a half years proclaiming, you know, go see Jesus. I must decrease. He must increase. And he says things like that. I believe. And he's given his whole life to preaching. And then all of a sudden, he gets to the end of his days where he smarted off to the wrong political party. Smarted off to the wrong political party. They arrested him, threw him in jail, and they planned to cut his head off. Whack. Well, actually, they didn't plan. It's just what happened. He was living in fear of being in a Roman um, um, prison. And so he sent his disciples, the man that believed beyond belief, the man that knew Jesus was the Christ, sent his disciples to Jesus and said, you go ask him, is he really the one? You ever had doubt? Is it worth it? Is God really God? It's okay for you to have doubt. God does not reject you because of that. When Jesus could have said, oh, for crying out loud, would you just go back and tell him, yes, I'm the son of God? He didn't do that, did he? He didn't shame John. He didn't embarrass John in front of his disciples. Instead, he says to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. That the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone that does not stumble on account of me. John said, uh, excuse me, Jesus said, you go back and tell John in the middle of his doubt that I am going to encourage him and not shame him or embarrass him. And then he brags on John. In the midst of everybody seeing that the his, John's disciples are saying, John's got a, a lot of doubts on whether or not you're who you say you are. He says, you go back and you encourage him about what's going on. And then he turns to everybody else and says, there has been no man born on this planet greater than John. When John was in the midst of his deepest insecurities, his deepest doubts. God said, I want you to look at John because John is the man. That's what he did. And so they went back and encouraged him. When I look at this story, I see that God invites us to be honest about our doubts. You can be honest. God, I believe. I believe. But God, could you, could you please help my unbelief? God, I got, a, I got a pie chart for a heart. And like 65%, it believes. 35%, not so much, God. The, the pink. Can you change the pink to purple? Every once in a while, you know I'm coming for you. Every once in a while, the treasurer sends me information. And I look at it and I, I say, wow, you are so smart. Because he's smart. Numbers everywhere the board tears it apart i got a guy on the board who can sit down and within seconds tell you which columns off it's these people are amazing and then there's me could you make me a picture please 
All those numbers look like phenomenal to me. When I look down through them, I see, oh, I'm going to need two aspirin when this conversation's over. And they're like, is this not great? And I'm like, is it? Make me a picture. I need a pie chart. I need a graph that has this bar and this bar. And I see inside of all of us is just this pie. And it says, I got 35%, I believe Jesus. But I got 65% that is hurting so bad. Would you please just step in? Please. And Jesus says, oh, people are running. Watch this. And he does it. And there's nothing magical. There's no incantations. There's no waving of hands. He just says, demon, get out. In another place in the Bible, it says, and with a word, he, con- uh, he cast out the demons. Go was the word. Just go. But he was very specific. And don't come back. Be specific when you're casting out demons. Us? Me? Yes. Be specific. My doubts rarely are actually about God, to be honest with you, but rather they were about what I've been told about God. They're very rarely actually about God. Jesus used to ask people, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? What do you think? A man has two sons. Um, Who was this man's neighbor? What deserves to happen to someone who? Doubts open up our hearts to seeing things a different way. And Jesus embraces the question. Go ahead and have a question. People come to me and say, Pastor Joe, you said something in your sermon and I've got a question. But please, I'm not being rebellious. (laughs) Yes, you are. And I'm glad for you. I am. Push back. Just bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. But push back. And at the end of the conversation, we need to say, what did Jesus say? I was thinking about that statement, that, that it opened, doubts open up our hearts. Think of it this way. Doubts open up our hearts to seeing things the right way instead of the religious way. The Lord just overwhelmed me with that this morning. Doubts open up our hearts to seeing things the right way instead of the religious way. God wants to meet you in your doubts is the third thing that I want to share with you this morning. Thomas was that kind of a guy. The disciples said, Thomas, dude, we saw Jesus. He came in here. The door was locked. He talked to us and everything. It was awesome. And you missed it, Thomas, because you doubted so much you went outside. And Thomas responded with, and he says, in John 20, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas, because he gets a bad rap every time, says, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side, not going to believe No, I'm doubting. Sorry, I'm not buying it. And Jesus doesn't show up and say, well, Thomas, I showed up to these guys. They testified it was the truth. You're out of the shrine. You don't come back in, Thomas. You were with me from the beginning. You saw me get baptized. Boom, you're out. No more Thomas. Can't have people in my immediate circle that doubt that I am who I say I am. I can't have people that doubt that the vision is what the vision is. I can't have people that will question what it is that's going on around here. I can't have that. Please, we should always have people, not mean people, not nasty people, not people that are being ugly for the sake of being ugly, but people that are willing to stop and say, hey, what about this? What about that? What about this? And I love that Jesus shows up, and when he does show up, he doesn't go, all right, I want everybody to pay attention. This is a teachable moment. Thomas, come here. 
Come up to the front of the class. Here, stick your hand in there, buddy. Right in there. That rates up with eat my body, drink my blood, doesn't it? Oh, that's nasty. No. But he said, here, put it right in there. Here, put your fingers right in here. Big nail hole, wherever, there or there, whatever the truth is. Just stick your finger in there. Let's do this thing. He doesn't do that. He shows up and he loves him. He says, Thomas, look at, look at my hands. Thomas, look at my side. Thomas, look at my feet. I would have showed off my feet too. Thomas, here I am, buddy. And I believe that God wants to do that for you in the midst of your doubt. I love that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't want to ridicule you. He wants to show you. He wants to invite you. Because the last thing I want to share with you is that sometimes we have to wait on God. You know, I'm looking at this story, and I'm seeing this boy, and he's throwing himself down. He's going to go into the fire. <clears throat> and, and, and his father brought him to the church, if you would. Brought him to church. Hey, I need you guys to pray for him. I need you to cast out the demon. I need you to lay hands on him. I need you to anoint him with oil. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And you, know, you, can, you can come to the church, but the point being, you didn't come to see the church. You came to see God. And sometimes we have to wait on God. And that's okay. Sometimes the only answer we get, when he comes down from that mountain, he's going to make it all make sense to you. When that trumpet blows and you and I are going to get caught up in the air, I'm telling you right now, this thinly veiled mist that we live in is going to disappear and you're going to know the way you've been known. You're going to know the why. You're going to know the what happened. You're going to see the answers without having to ask the question, the doubt will be gone. But today I want you to know that God is not ashamed of you because you have doubt. Sometimes we have to wait on God. And ladies and gentlemen, that has to be okay with us. That honestly has to be okay because he's God and we're not. Because it is going to be God's way. But in your life, in your life today are you living your life in such a way that is God's way going to have to be your way is your way the only way is it your way or no way does God have to come and and do what you want or he's not God Does God have to come and fix what you want fixed? Does he have to give you what you want given to you? Does he have to upend what needs to be upended? Does he need to throw down some lightning bolts on the people that just need some lightning bolts? You ever met somebody that just needs a few lightning bolts? I was driving. No, don't worry where I was driving yesterday. It's okay. It's all good. No lightning bolts. It has to be God. The father came to the church, but he had to wait on the Lord because God's timing is not my timing. You and I are stuck right now. We're stuck here on this earth between what is referred to as the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is here to stay, and he's taken up residence in your heart. However, the trumpet is going to sound. Christ will be in the air, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then all things will become new. So there's the now. We live in the presence of God, but not in the presence of God. The day is going to come when we live in the presence of God and in the presence of God. 
And it just means that we've got to be able to grasp the idea that we, we're not going to know everything on this side of heaven. But we have to do things God's way. And it's going to be important. Jesus ushered in the kingdom with power. But the Lord is going to return and there will be the fulfillment of the promise of God. So in this end, the Father puts his doubt aside and he chooses to believe Jesus. And I would encourage you in that. If you've brought your doubt in here, then at least take your doubt and go to him when life is overwhelming. Go to him. Go to the church. Go up front for prayer. Go to small group. Whatever go to him means to you, go to him when life is overwhelming. When he begins to make statements about demons and casting out and fasting and prayer, and it doesn't make any sense to you, choose to trust him when you don't understand. But Lord, it doesn't make sense. It, no, no. You didn't say, God, make it make sense. You said, God, help me. Right? Sometimes we say, now do this, 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 and this, and God says, that won't help you got to let him do it and then finally follow him even when it doesn't make sense lord i'm looking at your gospel and it says love my enemy god i'm looking at your gospel and it says tithe god i'm looking at your gospel and it says go god i'm looking at your gospel and it says it it, it says speak the truth god i'm looking at your gospel and i'm thinking lord what's going on Because so many times you and I, we're living a life where we're not paying attention to what's going on around us. I had the pleasure of being at a football game yesterday and it was really an awesome experience. It is one of those things that I will remember till I die. But in the midst of it all, we were waiting on some football players to come out. We were out there and I was paying attention to everybody's child and the person I was with was paying attention to everybody's child and there was a father there not paying attention to his child. Nicholasville Road was right there. And I could see this child headed over there. The person I was with is like, there's the dad. He's not paying attention. He's looking at her, but he's not seeing her. This child was three years old. The guy that was with me bolted because that child turned and was running straight for the road. Cats came, and that road was choked up. And he snatched that child just before she went under the wire. There are people all around us, and even us sometimes, that we're just running. Or we're the parent, not paying attention to what's going on around us. But God is still moving. And He loves you. Even in your doubt. And so I'm going to get off this stage. But listen to me. I'm preaching about doubt because you're in here with your doubts. And God wants your doubts. He wants your doubts. Joe, what am I going to do with my doubts? I want you to bring them up here. Can we have your doubts? Can the kingdom of heaven, on that cross, can the kingdom of heaven have your doubts? Can you bring your doubts up here and leave them? Is it time for you to surrender to Jesus? Is it, is it time for you to get baptized? Is it time for you to push the doubts up to the front and leave them up here? These people want to pray for you. Because God 
wants to meet you in your doubt.